Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, October 14th edition of The Basement Academy. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day to pray with me as we pray the Psalms, and then to do some more thinking. We're thinking about evangelism and how to unlearn it so that we can relearn it. Our morning psalm is one we have read uh, several times uh, over the months. And if you are praying the Psalms daily, then you are familiar with this psalm. It's an important one that keeps us grounded, I guess that's the right word, in the, the reality of the human condition and what sin does to us, okay? And so this will probably sound a little familiar. We've offered this before. Let us pray. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn that those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord? There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And so, Lord, hear our prayer as we seek to care for a world that has turned aside from you. Amen. Okay, we're unlearning evangelism. <clears throat> uh, we've been thinking uh, kind of along a couple different lines. One, I'm making the assumption that very few of us actively, regularly share our faith with unbelievers. Okay, I'm just making that assumption, but it's it's based on experience, both my own as well as that of people I know uh, over many years. The reasons we don't are many. We're not comfortable. Uh, we tried it once. We're not sure what to do. We're afraid to, to, to make a mistake. Um, we're not convinced it needs to happen or we want someone else to do it. Any number of reasons, okay? But it may be because we think certain things about how to share the faith or what sharing the faith or what evangelism is. And so I'm suggesting we may need to unlearn some things that in the relearning we might become more willing and joyful evangelist. Okay, now the word itself, evangelism is the activity or process of sharing the evangel. Evangel just means good news. And so it's just bearing good news. I, I've joked about being an evangelist for barbecue or uh, some particular sports event. <laughs> and I evangelistically share that news. I'm excited to tell people about it, right? Okay. We have a particular uh, set of news uh, to share and it centers around Jesus Christ. But as I was sharing yesterday, if we just come out with the most kind of smallest summary Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. Believe in him and you will be saved. That could be like me watching a cricket game, okay? <laughs> and so my crickety uh, illustration, that without context, 
I had no idea what was going on in that field. I watched it. I had some sense that uh, points were being scored in some way and there was cheering, but I didn't know how to interpret the action. So it was kind of gobbledygook to me. Similarly, when we share, if we share, the, the, the message may just go right past people because they have no context. And so today I want to lean into that a little bit further. And I want to start with this. Where in the New Testament do we actually find explicit instructions for his followers, for Jesus' followers, to share the faith? Well, I'm going to go through a few. If you're listening on the podcast, I'll, I'll make the references. But if you're watching the video, you can see the references on the whiteboard. Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So there you have this commissioning of the apostolic community to go. And as they make Jesus known, it's not make converts, but it's make disciples. And so followers of Jesus who obey him and who are identified with him openly through baptism, okay? So you could argue, rightly so, uh, that we have in the Great Commission a call for the followers of Jesus to uh, bear witness. Same language in, in, uh, of witnessing in Acts chapter 1, uh, where Jesus, before ascending to the Father, says you, to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this image of Jerusalem, surrounding region Judea, cross-cultural Samaria, uh, globally ends of the earth, this kind of concentric expanding circle of witness, okay? And so there, the, the language isn't to evangelize, but it is to witness. And so uh, that's language from the court, right? The one who bears witness to the truth, what they have seen and heard. Um, and, and so this image, again, of sharing uh, news. <clears throat> Some would um, speak to Romans, Romans chapter 10, where Paul is writing both to Jew and Gentile alike, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in Romans 10, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, well, gee, there's that Isaiah 52 passage, right? The image of the, the messenger of victory in battle running with this good news. <clears throat> and so Paul picks up on that Isaiah image as the one who bears witness to the gospel, to, uh, to what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so Romans 10 implies that people have got to go out. They can't believe if they haven't heard. They won't hear unless there's somebody preaching. And they won't preach unless we send them out. Okay, so Romans 10, <clears throat> uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we, could, we could say carries some of this same image. Just after uh, writing that if anyone is in Christ, that has come to be joined to Christ, 
he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Okay, important. And then in verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he's committed to his people, Paul, the apostle, but by extension, I think, to all believers, this message of reconciliation, God making his appeal through us. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we've got messengers um, running from the battle to declare the good news that, that Christ has conquered. Okay, so there's that. Uh, you have witnesses, kind of the legal image uh, in Acts chapter 1. Uh, you have the, the apostolic sending out, again, Paul picking up on that image. And now you've got the notion of an ambassador who represents a, another, right? And so we're ambassadors making this uh, appeal. Uh, and then we go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul writing to his younger protege. And he says... Um, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. So Paul writing to Timothy, and so we can see there, maybe by extension, we are to do the work of an evangelist. But but this is actually a commissioned um person. This is an officer of the church. So I certainly am to do the work of an evangelist. So you see some of that language there. And then we pick up in the little book of Philemon. It's just one chapter. So there's just one verse, verse six. Paul says, he writes this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. What a great little line. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you, in sharing the faith, will have a full understanding of every good thing. And so I've, I've thought of that. Um, though it's written to Philemon, the fact that it's in Scripture, we can then, by extension, believe that God would have us to be active in sharing our faith and that through that we would have a joyful understanding of what is ours in Christ. And then uh, in, in 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Okay, so there's something that happens here first. We reverence him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Hmm. So it's not so much initiating the work of evangelism, being active in sharing your faith. It's always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you. The word answer that we read here in the Greek word is apologia, apology where we get our word apologetics, to make a defense of the faith, 
to here's why I believe what I do and giving reasons for our faith, okay? So there are, by my count, those are seven different passages where, um, where we are given instruction. Uh, I've got one reference wrong up here. That's 14 and 15. Sorry about that, team. Just so I get the, get the reference right. That's Romans 14 and 15. Okay, so seven different. Now, I would welcome, if you want to give feedback, shoot me a text or an email and say, yeah, but what about this verse? What about that verse? Um, and I welcome that. The point is, there's actually very few passages about sharing our faith. I'm not saying they're not there. They are there. But they're few. You have entire books that are written that don't have anything to do with the people of God actively sharing their faith. The instructions have to do with being the people of God and a quality of life that is to be shared among them and certain beliefs that they are to hold. But it's written to the believing community already as opposed to, hey, believing community, get out there and go get them. So there are there are those scriptures, so I don't want to say this isn't uh, true. Now, as we read through the book of Acts and we see the early church getting about their work, it appears as if there's kind of two ways the faith gets shared, okay? Two approaches. Initially, they go to the synagogue, right? <clears throat> Paul, others, they go to the synagogue and there they argue from the scriptures, which would be a reference to the what we would call the Old Testament. There was no New Testament written yet at that point. And so Paul in particular would argue from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so he was laboring among those who knew the word of God, those who understood the language of Moses and David and promise and Abraham and covenant and Messiah. And they understood sin and atonement and they, they had a framework for understanding forgiveness. And they, they knew the stories of Adam and Eve and the garden and that some, the, the, the wrong that was experienced in the world had an explanation. So there was a uh, laboring amongst the, the synagogue community, the uh, Jewish community, the, the people of God, Abraham's family, there are, Paul was arguing that this Jesus who died at the hands of Pilate in the Roman Empire is actually the Christ. And the, heart, the reason so many couldn't understand that is because they had an image of a Messiah that wasn't a suffering Messiah, but was a conquering Messiah. So they had to unlearn Messiah. Okay, does that make sense? The Jews couldn't unlearn what the, they had come. They were so convinced of who Messiah was, they, they couldn't get it. That Messiahs don't die. Messiahs aren't weak. Messiahs aren't conquered. They do the conquering. Well, he did conquer, but he conquered differently than they understood. So they had to unlearn Messiah. Okay. And so initially there's laboring amongst the prepared, the religiously prepared. 
who are familiar with the concepts, familiar with the words, and familiar actually with the, the very sacred scriptures, they had to unlearn something so that they could see that Messiah is different than they had come to. And those who did unlearn it and relearned it, oh, they, they came to faith in Christ, okay? So there's that. But it's laboring among the prepared. But then there are the unprepared, the Gentiles. If you recall Sunday's sermon, I was talking about Ephesians, the temple of Artemis, Gentiles aren't prepared. They don't think in terms of God, Yahweh, Messiah. They think in terms of the gods, Artemis and Apollo and Zeus and Aphrodite and Hermes and so all these, this pantheon of uh, Greco-Roman gods. What we look back at Greek mythology but for them, they were active forces. They, they, they actively thought that way. Um, Acts chapter 17, Paul on Mars Hill gives some expression of that. As he's arguing, he sees all these statues, says, I see you're a very religious people, and I see that you have a statue over here to an unknown God. What, what you worship is unknown. Let me declare to you. They were hedging their bets, right? They didn't have an idea that they had an, a worshiping impulse because they're made in the image of God. And Paul understands this, right? And so the, the, the religious impulse is universal because all people are made in the image of God. All people are made to be in relationship with God. But absent knowing who God is, we will direct that need for meaning and purpose and transcendence. We will direct that towards other things. And so Paul argues, and then he quotes one of their own poets and some of their own philosophers. And so he comes at it in a different direction. He's not quoting scripture as much as he's quoting, you know, like a song or, you know, kind of a, a, a lyric uh, or a movie or something like that. You know, that's how we might do it uh, today. And so there's two approaches that we observe one for those who are prepared, have some religious background and the language and some of the concepts and those who don't. Ah, okay. So now this starts to be helpful. So hopefully you can uh, hear this. And so it appears that there also in scripture is a two-stage strategy where the, the, the apostles go in and they establish a beachhead of believers. And so, you know, Paul, he'll, he'll go, uh, he'll share the gospel, goes to the synagogue, he goes amongst the unprepared, and he labors, and then believers are formed, and then he moves on eventually. Instead of staying to be their pastor forever and ever, he goes. And so there's this establish these beachheads of believers, and then it appears, like we have in our New Testament letters, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, etc., our New Testament letters are strangely silent with respect to the call to evangelize, the explicit instruction to evangelize. Perhaps it is because... <laughs> As Paul goes out and begins to establish these little beachheads of belief in the Gentile area, because he gets turned away from the synagogue, they run him out of the synagogue. His, his laboring amongst the prepared kind of comes to an end. 
And so he labors amongst the unprepared and he establishes these, establishes these beachheads of belief amongst the, the primarily Gentile community. Not that there weren't prepared Jews as well that were part of those early churches, but amongst the Gentiles. Now, the instructions that we find are to have a certain quality of life and that that quality of life seems to be something that infiltrates the community. And then by living in a certain way, believing in a certain way, one then perhaps has that first Peter kind of experience. Hey, be prepared to give an answer when people ask you for the hope that you have. That's a like passive evangelistic strategy, not actively go, be active in sharing your faith. This is one, be prepared to give an answer when somebody asks you about your faith. But it's not ask you about your faith, ask you for the hope you have. And we're going to talk about that, okay? So it, it seems as if there are two approaches to the religiously prepared and the unprepared. You have to come at the, the content. I talked about content, context, and consequences of the gospel. The content has to be gotten at differently because the context of preparation or not, uh, religious background and preparation is different. And then it appears that there is both this, um, what you might call I want to say assault because, you know, you assault the beachhead. <laughs> That's probably not the best way to say it. But, but basically you bring, you, you kind of initiate the action, right? Uh, you bring the, the gospel to people, you establish the beachhead and then move on. Then that beachhead becomes more thoroughly converted. They, they become followers of Jesus. They follow his teachings. All men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. And so something happens in the quality of relationship. People observe, and then there's an infiltration and more of a, not an initiative evangelism, but more of a responsive evangelism, learning how to give answers when people ask us about our lives, okay? And so this infiltration um, strategy. So let me close with this. Uh, all the observers, the pollsters, the sociologists, uh, the, the observers of culture here in America are seeing the exact same thing. It's quantifiable. The unchurching of America. That the younger generations, the younger you go, fewer and fewer are identifying openly with any faith community, let alone the Christian faith community, and they're just not attending church. And so the unchurching or de-churching of America is underway. And that uh, provides great challenge, okay? So there's great challenges that are involved with that, both for our society and families and the like. But I would argue that it provides great opportunity. Now, one of the challenges is we have to think when we think about sharing our faith, which at the end of this whole series for several weeks, I hope you become an unlearned evangelist, that you will understand the joy, the honor, the opportunity, the call that is upon your life and mine to be those witnesses, to be those ambassadors, to be those ones who carry the message with, of good news. But we're going to have to understand, here's where we're going to have to unlearn some things. We're going to be laboring more and more. We are laboring and living more and more amongst the unchurched, the unprepared. 
the Don Meeks sitting in a park in Vancouver, British Columbia, watching a cricket game. So we're going to have to do the changing. We're going to have to figure out a different strategy. Like Paul on Mars Hill, he didn't come in quoting Isaiah and Moses and, and the like. He came in quoting their own poets, their own philosophers. He came in speaking their language and then would talk uh, and then lead them to a deeper understanding of what it is they were actually hungering for. So that, that's the fun we're going to get to talk about uh, next week as well. So uh, let me close here, uh, wrap us up with prayer, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Father, thank you. Thank you for these scriptures that guide us and the, the joy of being commissioned, the joy of being witnesses and being ambassadors and being those whose feet uh, are called beautiful. <laughs> But teach us, O oh Lord, to think differently and to understand what we actually see here in Scripture, how there may be different approaches. And so, Father, help us to even start thinking about our own web of relationships, our family, our friends, and others. And maybe we've been trying to say things and they're not prepared to hear it. And so give to us wisdom, humility, compassion, uh, stamina, courage, and give us favor as we seek to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of the good news shower his blessings, his spirit, his hope. May he give you great hope today so that people ask you questions about that hope. And may he give you good answers when they ask. May you do it today and forevermore. Amen.